Well, Father, it is in the beautiful and worthy name of our Lord Jesus that we reach for our Bibles now and we wait upon you to take your word and allow it to do its work in us. Father, even as we've just sung, we do thank you for those who have gone before us, who at great cost and significant peril, even giving their own lives, made tremendous sacrifice to deliver an accurate word to us, even these days. Thank you for the preserving work of your Holy Spirit to guard the Scriptures. And thank you for holy men who were led by the Spirit. And and then thank you for those ministers through the ages who have done translation work and who have just given themselves to the ministry of the Word. Thank you, Lord, for this time now. Help us to receive it well, and may your Holy Spirit accomplish much in us as we take in your Word. It's in Jesus' name we pray with thanksgiving this morning. Amen. Well, I am confident that when you hear the word or name Adolf Hitler, that you know exactly who that is and what he accomplished. What a horrific time of history. Those years of the 1930s and 40s leading into World War II. And what a time it was when on our globe in several major countries, we were witness to leaders who abused their people, who abused their power. Men like Adolf Hitler, men like Joseph Stalin. We sometimes think, I think, in our country particularly, that that couldn't happen to us and that that's kind of a long time ago in history. Do you know that characteristic of the timeline of human history is the rising to power of abusive leaders. I was thinking of one more recent that we probably didn't pay too much attention to. I know I didn't. I was in junior high and high school in the 1970s. It was Idi Amin in the African country of Uganda. Do you know he was known as the butcher? He horrifically abused his wonderful people in his country. Human rights overseers and those who track such things say that he may have slaughtered up to a half a million, 500,000 of his own people. By and large, most of it was for no reason at all. He wiped out those who had education, those who had money, He terrorized the church and persecuted Christians. They would roll into villages and burn and pillage and rape and in front of women and children, emasculate and slaughter the men, bury the pastors alive with their arms sticking out of the dirt, the only thing showing, drive off with the village destroyed and in flames. History has given many testimonies of abusive and horrible leaders. Demonstrated, demonstrative of the sinful nature of the human heart. This morning, as we continue to lay a groundwork and continue to process through what the 
timeline of events and the occurrences and the happenings of the last days of the world as we see them in prophetic passages in our Bible, I invite you to turn for a few more introductory remarks to the epistle of 2 Thessalonians. The Apostle Paul wrote the Thessalonian believers to calm them down. They were suffering difficult times. Well, you've heard of Adolf Hitler and Joseph Stalin and Idi Amin. Have you heard of the man of lawlessness? There is, according to the teachings of our Bible, coming a time, and we've been talking about this time of tribulation in the future, it appears that the best way to understand our Bibles is that it is a very real time. It is a, is a time of real occurrences. It will be a time where power will abuse people. And particularly during that time, there will be the surfacing, there will be the rising up of one particular world leader. There will be a structure of world powers that will gather and meet, and we will talk in more detail about that. Some Bible students call it the revived Roman Empire. It is evidently a, an alliance of ten predominantly European uh, leaders. I suspect that it also is representative of certain Arab nations as well. And out of those ten nations will come one that will rise up above the other. In fact, we're not going to get to it this Sunday because we're going to do some Bible study and continue to, to dig in and lay some groundwork. But as we continue our thinking next week, this week we meet the man of abomination and next week we're going to look in more detail at his activities and what he does. And we're going to look at his mark of identification but there is a significant occurrence that will take place during the tribulation when this world leader, and we've been talking about what the tribulation looks like. We had last week, in the last week, two weeks, a map of the tribulation. This week, the man of abomination. And you remember, we're talking about these, these amazing occurrences that Jesus, in Matthew 24, we're going there in a minute, talked about as birth pains. We talked about how the, the seals of Revelation 6 will be broken and judgments and, and horrific cataclysmic events will take place and the seven angels who will announce seven more unfolding judgments upon the earth will blow their trumpets and, and then it will even accelerate and in the last part of this seven-year window these, the bowls of God's wrath will be poured out. As we meet today this future man of lawlessness, I call him the man of abomination, because he's going to commit an act that will desecrate God's temple in, in Jerusalem. He is going to commit an act that we're going to see in our Bibles today is called the abomination that brings desolation or the abomination of desolation. Part of what I want to do today is I want to I want to do some rather in-depth Bible study together, so I hope you're ready to turn in your Bibles. But I want to introduce this man to you, and we will pick up next week in fuller detail about what he's all about and how he's going to rule and some of the things he's going to do to people. But I want in our Bible study today for you to see from the teachings of Paul and from the teachings of Christ that when this world leader comes to the fore, when he is announced 
and he is known around the world, I want you to see that this is going to be about halfway through a seven-year window that we call the tribulation. The last half of that, he is really going to be in charge of the whole world. The first half, he will be a great peacemaker. He will be one who makes alliances. He will particularly bring peace between the Arabs and the Israelis, and he will probably do it by restoring temple activity in Jerusalem on the very Temple Mount, where today there is a mosque. Somehow he's going to negotiate the building of the temple again in Israel. It appears that that is a literal rebuilding. Somehow that will all be brought together, and for three and a half years, temple worship will be restored. Halfway through, he's going to go to that temple, the whole world's going to see it, and he's going to change, and he's going to, in a very horrific way, he's going to desecrate the temple. He's going to elevate himself as though he were a god. We will see more of this next week. That's when he will bring about his mark of 666, and the world will be forced to worship him. This act of abomination that he's going to do, nobody really knows for sure what it is. It appears that it is, at the least, an elevating of himself in the very temple of God, where God is to be worshipped. He is going to elevate himself in such a way that he pronounces himself to be God, and if you don't worship him, he will kill you. He has lots of happy followers. Interesting, isn't it, that We've had many antichrists and we've had many horrible world leaders who have terribly abused their people. And often that is their method, isn't it? It is to force people to subject them to activity and behavior outside of their own will and then to act like everybody's happy. And that's what he's going to do. Everybody has to worship me and we're all happy campers because I'll kill you if you don't do it. Many Bible students consider this last three and a half year window to be called the Great Tribulation. So I want, to get, want you to get this in your head as we continue to develop our timeline. A seven year window and today a lot of what we're going to do is show you why we believe this is a literal seven year window. A seven year window that is yet future, that is the tribulation, that halfway through the man of abomination will rise up and he will identify himself as a horrible one-world ruler. We call him the Antichrist or the beast. I believe a literal person. People will be forced to worship him and the trumpet judgments and the bowl judgments are going to unfold in rapid fire. It's going to be an incredible three and a half year window. The worst of which I believe will be probably the last six months or so. And we call this the Great Tribulation, or Paul will call it in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, where you've opened to right now, the Day of the Lord. Now I want you to see that this man, this lawless one, this man of abomination, is a key player in that Paul talks about him, Jesus will talk about him, and he will say that when you see this guy, then you know everything's going to really get crazy. And so it's important for us to identify who this guy is and when he's going to surface and why. 
And so the Apostle Paul introduces us to him in writing to the Thessalonian believers in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let's take just a minute and see how Paul comments about him. I want you to see that the Thessalonian believers, because of difficult days, even of persecution, and because of false Christs or false prophets, they have been confused and they are concerned that maybe they have missed the coming of the Lord and that they have entered the day of the Lord or this time of tribulation. And the Apostle Paul calms them down by saying, look, until this lawless one, until the man of abomination, until the beast identifies himself, you know you haven't entered the day of the Lord. So it's a marking point. It is a significant mark. And Jesus, when we turn to Matthew 24 in a minute, is going to indicate the same thing. When you see this guy, then you know it's going to get really bad. So he's a man of interest to us. We're going to find out next week in much more detail some of the juicy stuff like the 666. Is that like a tattoo on your head? What is that? What kind of mark is that? What do you think it is? And that kind of thing. But today, continuing to understand the groundwork, you're going to see today as well how Scripture ties in with Scripture. I think you will anyway. I hope you actually enjoy it. We're going to have to turn in our Bibles a good bit. I hope that doesn't weary you. And I hope that you will actually enjoy seeing how Jesus goes to Daniel, who goes to Jeremiah, who goes to Moses, and we go back to Daniel through the angel Gabriel who sheds even more information, all about identifying this seven-year period and this man of lawlessness, who he is, and this abominable act that he will perform, desecrating the temple in Jerusalem and establishing himself as the God of this world. Let's read what Paul wrote to the Thessalonian believers. They were in somewhat of a panic. He finds out that they are frightened and that they think they're in the day of the Lord, he says, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus, 2 Thessalonians 2, 1, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, by a report or by a letter supposed to have come, supposedly to have come from us, saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Okay, so there was false reports, even people in... Uh, uh, posturing as apostles with some level of authority saying, this is the way it is. And uh, it's not true. And this is what he says to them. Look at verse 3. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. He is a man, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped. Did you get that? He will oppose and he will exalt himself over everything that is called God or that is to be worshipped. Paul goes on to say, look, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. This is an important key character, this man of abomination. And I believe what the Apostle Paul is laying out to these 
Thessalonian believers here is the very thing that Jesus is talking about now in Matthew 24. Will you turn there to Matthew 24 and verse 15? We've been trying to decipher Jesus' lecture. We call it the Olivet Discourse. And we pick it up again here in verse 15. And I want you to see that what Paul says to the Thessalonian believers is identifiable with what Jesus is talking about as what we would call the abomination of desolation or the abomination that causes desolation. Some act that makes filthy the sacredness of God, that elevates a man in the place of God, and the whole world's going to know it, and the Bible prophesies this event, and that is a key part of understanding the tribulation going into this time in the last three and a half years known as the Great Tribulation. Look what Jesus says in Matthew 24, beginning with verse 15 now. So, when you see standing in the holy place, that would be the sanctuary of God in the temple, the holy place, when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel... Let the reader understand. Okay? So stop a minute. Take in these words. This is not real easy sometimes to stay with. Okay? So Jesus says, when you see this abomination of desolation in the sacred place in the temple, when you see him stand up, he's talking about a man, and it was spoken of through Daniel, then he says, then the reader should understand. Let the reader understand what's happening. So we're supposed to get something from that. Verse 16 of Matthew 24. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down to take anything out of his house. Do you feel an acceleration of wickedness? Do you feel it picking up? Things are going to start really happening. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or in the Sabbath, on the Sabbath. For then, when is then? Then goes back up to verse 15. When you see standing in the holy place the abomination of desolation, when this man identifies himself, when he surfaces, then there will be great distress unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. And if those days had not been cut short, no one would survive but for the sake of the elect. Those days will be shortened. And at the time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if it were possible. See, I have told you ahead of time. So stop right there for today in Matthew 24. What is Jesus talking about? Clearly, one thing that is happening in Jesus' lecture here is that he is talking about a time of increasing wickedness. From verses 1 through 14, he's called this the time of the birth pains. We've related what Jesus has said. Wars, rumors of war, famine, earthquakes, cataclysmic events, diseases. We've equated Jesus' teaching in Matthew 24 last week in our map of the tribulation with the breaking of the seals and the seal judgments. That, Jesus calls birth pains. But when this man of lawlessness, 
this horrible world leader surfaces above the other world leaders and commits this act, an abominable act, the act that is called the abomination that brings desolation, then, Jesus says, then watch out. And it appears that everything will accelerate and move even faster with more and more judgment. Now, we're going to do something now. We're going to actually kind of take a rabbit trail, believe it or not. I'm so known for staying on point. It's a discipline for me to take a rabbit trail. But what I want you to do is I want you to sit up, get your feet on the floor, take a deep breath, and I want to begin to walk you through connecting some scriptures here. And I suspect that some of you have never seen this before. And if you will stay with it, and if you will engage, it will help you have a better understanding of what's happening, why we believe this is seven literal years, why we believe at three and a half years, this momentous event of the identification of the man of abomination matters, and how we draw that conclusion. Okay, so the first thing we want to see is from Jesus. And by the way, the way, if you want to take some notes, you want to write this down, it might help you keep it straight. It's going to be all characters' names. It's going to be all people, including Jesus. He was a person. It's going to be all people and one angel. Okay? So we're going to start with, with Jesus. We're going to go to Daniel. We're going to go to Jeremiah. We're going to go to Moses. And we're going to end up with Gabriel. So if you'll just stay with it, I want to show you how Scripture ties in with Scripture and how in the end it appears clear that this is a seven-year window of time that is yet unfulfilled that will be unmatched in any other time in history that we've never seen anything like it. And that the, the horrible man of lawlessness will be the key player in it all, the beast, the Antichrist. Point number one, if you're going to write down some points, is this. Number one, Jesus gives a warning. Jesus gives a warning. And that's what I've already been talking about in chapter 24 and verse 15. The warning is this. So, when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand, verse 21, then there will be great distress that is unequal to any other time. That is the trip. That is the lever that's going to flip it into just craziness. And I believe he's talking about literal people, literal activity in literal places in a literal timeline. I don't know what else to do with the words that we're going to see. What you'll have to do to change the identification and meaning of it is you would have to spiritualize and you would have to say, no, no, that's not what that means, that's not who that is, and that's not what those numbers really mean. I want you to see, particularly now, as we turn to Daniel chapter 9, that Daniel believed that these numbers were real. Real numbers, real years. Point number one, Jesus gives a warning. Did you get it? The warning is that the man of abomination will surface and create desolation. As Daniel spoke about. Did you see that phrase in there? Matthew 24, 15, as Daniel talked about. When we turn to Daniel chapter 9, we will see that Daniel has been reading. That's point number two. Jesus gives a warning. Number two is Daniel has been reading. Not only is Daniel reading, but Daniel is praying. Daniel understands from his own study of Scripture 
that something very real is going on, and he believes that it's time for God to act. Let's see what that is. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, Daniel chapter 9, verse 1, in the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, now watch this, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last for 70 years. How long did Daniel think it was going to last? Do you think he thought that was like an imaginary number that didn't really mean 70? No, he said it would last for 70 years. All right? And so now I want you to go on a little bit of a history lesson with me. You need to stay with me and we're going to end up at the abomination of desolation that Jesus talked about in Matthew 24, 15. Jesus gives a warning Number two, Daniel has been reading, and Daniel is reading Jeremiah. Now, how many of you remember the story of Daniel? Sure. It's one of our favorites, isn't it? Now, was Daniel a Jew or a Gentile? He was a Jewish boy, wasn't he? Did Daniel grow up in Israel? Well, he did at first, didn't he? But what happened when Daniel was a young boy? What happened to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Remember those guys? It's not their Hebrew names. What happened? An enemy king came in from the north whose name was Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon. That would be present-day Baghdad, Iraq. Going down from present-day Baghdad, Iraq, Nebuchadnezzar, Saddam Hussein, believed himself to be a modern incarnation of Nebuchadnezzar of our Bible. He had a big mosaic tile made out of tile on a wall in downtown Baghdad. I have talked to people who've seen it with their own eyes. I have seen pictures that they have taken. And it is an interfacing of Nebuchadnezzar of old with a flowing head, you know, their cloth and and an ancient king and an interface of, of Saddam Hussein, the two faces together on this huge tile. He believed himself to be the reincarnation, in essence, of Nebuchadnezzar, a powerful king in the north. When Daniel was a young teenager, Nebuchadnezzar comes down from the north to Israel and does what? Takes him from his home, probably emasculates him, makes him into a eunuch, desecrates the temple, takes the, takes the religious items from the temple in Israel, and clears them out and takes them into what we call exile. Daniel has been reading now Jeremiah, and for almost 70 years, Daniel has been back up in Nebuchadnezzar's territory. And that's where all the good stories in the book of Daniel take place. That's where the big big statue of gold and the three Hebrew children wouldn't bow down to it, got put in the fiery furnace, where Daniel was made into a eunuch and he wouldn't eat the king's food, and he ate husks and vegetables and after 10 days he looked better and was sharper than the rest and God honored him that's where later he was thrown into the lion's den as really a mature man probably right around this time thrown into the lion's den and so forth for doing what for praying three times to his God towards the east towards Jerusalem all right that's the Daniel he's not in Israel 
Nebuchadnezzar has swept down with an army and he's taken them all away. And for almost 70 years, Daniel's probably well into his 80s or even his 90s now, and he is reading Jeremiah. Well, what did Jeremiah say? Look what Jeremiah, he says, I, Daniel, look at verse 2, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and I pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. And he then prays, and this would be great devotional material for this week for you, to read Daniel's prayer. He confesses his personal sin. He confesses the sin of his nation. He begs God to come back and rebuild Jerusalem, rebuild the temple. It's all been wiped out for 70 years. Now I'd like to continue our rabbit trail and our Bible study here and go even farther away from our topic at hand. And I want to show you what Daniel certainly must have been reading in Jeremiah. It doesn't tell us in the text what he was reading in Jeremiah, does it? It just says he was reading Jeremiah and he knew that for 70 years Israel was going to be taken in exile for punishment for being wicked. That's the bottom line. That's why he starts to confess their sin and say, please God, restore us. Will you turn to Jeremiah? It's only back to your left a little bit. To Jeremiah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. To Jeremiah chapter 25 and look at this. Okay, so to kind of track our thinking, Jesus gives a warning. We find out that Daniel has been reading. He's been reading Jeremiah and Jeremiah, number three, Jeremiah will give us the timing. Jeremiah gives us the timing. This is where the 70 years comes from. Look at chapter 25 of Jeremiah and look at verse 11. It's interesting to read the context, but to save time, we've got to move through it. But look at verse 8, for example. Jeremiah 25, 8. Therefore the Lord Almighty says this, Because you have not listened to my words, I will summon all the peoples of the north, and my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, declares the Lord. Okay, this is Jeremiah delivering the message of the Lord to the people. And he's telling them, Wake up! Stop sinning! Be God's people! Or else the great pot from the north is going to tip over and boil all over you. Nebuchadnezzar is going to come down from the north. He's going to take you away. And the Lord God said, Wake up! stop sinning or I'm going to scatter you out and I'm going to destroy your cities. Now look at verse 11. This whole country will become a desolate wasteland and these nations will serve the king of Babylon for how long? 70 years. See, Daniel, Jeremiah was a contemporary with Daniel or a little bit ahead of him and Daniel had Jeremiah the prophet's words. He was just in front of him before Daniel got exiled. And he was reading Dan Jeremiah's writings, and so that's where he got the word 70. Turn the page to chapter 26. Turn to, excuse me, to chapter 29. Chapter 29, verse 10. Chapter 29 of Jeremiah, verse 10. This is what the Lord says. Okay, this is Jeremiah proclaiming this to wicked Israel. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are complete for, completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. It was a gracious promise because they didn't deserve it. For I know, and this is some of your, I'll bet your hands would go up all over this auditorium, that people would say, that's my favorite verse. That's my life verse. 
Do you know that it's this? It's a promise to Israel of old that when they had paid the price of their disobedience by being in exile for 70 years, that God then said in verse 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. Do you remember what Daniel was doing in chapter 9? He was calling upon him. He was praying to him. He was saying, Lord, restore us. Renew your plan for us. Rebuild the temple. Rebuild the city walls. Lord, make us into your people again. Seventy years is up, Lord. And Daniel knew it was a literal 70 years. He believed it. Jeremiah taught it. Then he said in verse 13, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Surely that's what Daniel was reading, isn't it? So Jesus gives a warning. The warning is, when you see the abomination of desolation that Daniel prophesied about, and we'll see that in a minute, we go to Daniel and we see that Daniel was reading. What was Daniel reading? He was reading Jeremiah, and Jeremiah gives the timing. I want to take our rabbit trail even farther still, away from our topic at hand. Okay, so we've gone from Jesus to Daniel to Jeremiah, and I want to answer this little question in our Bible study this morning. Why 70 years? Where did that come from? Why did God say, for 70 years, I'm going to kick you out of your country and I'm going to let Jerusalem lay desolate? Why 70 years? To find that out, we have to go back to Moses in Leviticus. Will you turn with me again to Leviticus chapter 25? Number four, if you're writing these down, is Israel ignored God's blessing. Israel ignored God's blessing. God had a plan of blessing And Israel ignored it. Question, let's just stop and do some personal life application. Have you ever known or understood from God's word, his plan of blessing, violated it, and suffered the consequence? I know you have. I have. It's happening all the time, and it seems that the church is out of control right now. The church is ignoring God's word, living in disobedience, Our children are turning into pagans. Why? Because they do not believe that the blessing comes from God through obedience. They think they can come up with a better plan. They think that what God has to say to them is cumbersome. It's constrictive. It's holding me in. Let me live my life. Let me flap my wings. And they think they have a better way. And what do they do? They crash and they burn and they scar themselves up only to get up and do it again. Refuse to come back to God and say... Forgive me. You are a holy God. And I need to live in fear and tremble you, tremble before you. The only way of blessing comes through obedience. Boy, here's a life lesson right now. Why 70 years? Why did Israel get wiped off the map? Why did it become desolate? Why is it a, the city in rubble? See, Ezra hasn't rebuilt the temple yet, and Nehemiah hasn't rebuilt the walls, and they're going to find them burned and in rubble. You remember those stories? We're in Leviticus chapter 25. Daniel is reading. He's reading Jeremiah. Jeremiah gives the timing of 70 years. 
And Israel, the 70 years comes from number four, Israel ignoring God's blessing. Let's turn to Leviticus 25, your priority there, and I've been preaching. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus 25. Look what he says in verses 1 through 7. The Lord said to Moses on Mount Sinai, Speak to the Israelites, Leviticus 25.1, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you enter the land I am going to give you, the land itself must observe a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years sow your fields, and for six years prune your vineyards and gather their crops. But in the seventh year the land is to have a Sabbath of rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. Do not sow your fields or prune your vineyards. Do not reap what grows of itself or harvest the grapes of your untended vines. The land is to have a year of rest. Whatever the land yields during the Sabbath year will be food for you. For yourself, your manservant, your maidservant, and the hired worker and temporary resident who live among you, as well as your livestock and the wild animals in your land, whatever the land produces may be eaten. Now let your eyes go over to Leviticus 26. We'll, we'll talk about this in just a second. Take in Leviticus 26, begin with verse 14. But if you will not listen to me, Leviticus 26, 14, if you will not listen to me and carry out all these commands, and if you reject my decrees and abhor my laws and fail to carry out all of my commands and so violate my covenant, then I will do this to you. I will bring upon you sudden terror, wasting disease, and fever that will destroy your sight and drain away your life. You will plant seed in vain, because your enemies will eat it, and I will set my face against you so that you will be, de be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you will rule over you, and you will flee even when no one pursues you." Let's stop right there for a minute, but we're going to put our eyes right back down there and let's understand what we've been talking about. Jeremiah spent his entire life, essentially, preaching to people with deaf ears. The book of Jeremiah records for us what he told the Israelites. And he told them, you need to obey or God is going to wipe you out. And it is powerful language. Jeremiah, in the early chapters of Jeremiah, he says, he said, what God says to you, Israel, what's wrong with me? That, that I, I give you cisterns of pure living water and you leave me and you go after broken cisterns with putrid scum water. So what's wrong with you? And Jeremiah spent his whole life crying out to Israel, please follow after God, obey God. He said, you are like some kind of wild animal in the desert, chasing off after a camel that's in heat. You chase after other gods. What is wrong with me that you leave me? And finally God said, I've had it. This is because of their disobedience, and it goes clear back to here. In Leviticus chapter 25, there is another element to the story, and it is this. How many of you know what the Sabbath day is? The Sabbath day is Saturday, right? God, based upon his pattern of creation, did what? He labored for six days, and on the seventh day he rested, right? And so the, God's people were to fulfill that in their plan of living, in their life cycle, their work week, and it's a good seven-day week is a good thing. And that day of rest matters. 
in chapter 26, in chapter 25, God takes the Sabbath day of rest, puts it on steroids for them, and he commands them in Leviticus chapter 25, not only are you to take every seventh day and rest, you're to take every seventh year and just take it off. Do you know that God's ways are good? (laughs) Can we improve this plan? What is wrong with us? Oh, no, I might miss out on something. And did you see where we read in 25, starting with the beginning of the chapter there, he said, take that every seventh year off and let the land rest. Don't plant. Don't harvest. All right? But notice, he said, and if you don't do this, then in chapter 26, if you don't do this, I'm going to give you wasting disease. Your animals are going to die. It's going to be bad for you. It gets even worse. Look what he says in verse 18 of Leviticus 26. If after all this you will not listen to me, I will punish you for your sins. How many times over? Seven times over. Now listen to me because I got to go fast, but it'll make sense to you thinking, trust me, it's true. In 1400, let's go way down our timeline before the cross. In 1400 B.C., 1,400 years before Christ, is when, under Joshua's leadership, Israel enters Canaan land. That's when what we just read in Leviticus 25 and 26 kicked in. Sabbath obedience, seventh year off. If you don't do it, you're going to suffer, and I'm going to pay you seven times over for your disobediences. In 1400 B.C., they enter the land, And every seven years, they're supposed to take it off. Okay? We move clear up to 600 B.C. That's 800 years. 600 B.C. is when Nebuchadnezzar, the boiling pot from the north, boils over. And Nebuchadnezzar comes and gets Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, wipes out Israel, destroys the temple, and moves them into exile. 1400 B.C. to 600 B.C. 800 years. Every seventh year, for 800 years, the Israelites were to take a Sabbath year off. Guess how many times they skipped it? Say 70. (laughs) 70 times. Now, if you do the math and you divide seven into 800 years, you come up with the fact that they needed to keep the Sabbath year of rest 114 times. 70 of those 114 times, they decided that their way was better than God's way. It looked like a great year for growing corn. It looked like a great year for peaches. It's a great year for my cattle. I can't take this year off. We got big money we're going to make. I got these fields they're developing. And God says, this is the seventh year. Take it off. Enjoy me. Enjoy your family. Have more babies. Go on vacation. Take it easy. I'll take care of you. And he said, no, I can't do that. I might not make him enough money. And they depended on their own wisdom and they depended on their own heart and they did not obey what God said. And 70 times they decided in 800 years to skip keeping the Sabbath rest. And so God says, for 70 years, you got to go pay for it. Now, we've got to bring this thing in for a landing, and we've got to go back to Daniel chapter 9 for it, because we must see what Gabriel says, because he's even going to add a spin to it. It's amazing. All right, let me see if you've been following. Jesus gave a warning, and the warning was that when the 
abomination of desolation and the man of abomination surfaces as Daniel prophesied. And then we took a rabbit trail. Daniel was reading and praying. He was reading Jeremiah. Jeremiah said 70 years because God said 70 years. Take a year off. Now in Daniel chapter 9, notice verse 20. Let's go there and we're at point number 5. Gabriel gives the meaning. Gabriel gives the meaning. So Jesus gives a warning. Daniel has been reading. Jeremiah gave the timing. Israel had ignored God's blessing. Now Gabriel's going to give new meaning. Verse 20 of Daniel chapter 9. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and making my request to the Lord, my God, for his holy hill, while I was still in prayer... Gabriel, this is an angel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, that would be in chapter 7, came to me in swift flight. I don't think angels have wings, but Gabriel flew in about the time of the evening sacrifice. So Daniel was praying in the evening, and Gabriel, an angel of the Lord, appears to him. He instructed me, and he said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. Okay, I'm going to tell you some things that you need to know. As soon as you began to pray, an answer was given, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the message and understand the vision. Seventy weeks, or seventy sets of seven, are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for wickedness. Let's stop right there and think about it. How many years did Daniel think he was going to have to be in exile? According to Jeremiah, 70. Jeremiah said it. But do you remember in Leviticus chapter 26 that God told them, and if you don't do this and you don't obey, I will increase and multiply this how many fold? Sevenfold. And so here, and the best way, the only way it makes sense in the passage is to understand these 70 Weeks or seven sets of seven to be years. Seventy sets of seven years. Seventy times seven is 490 years. So Daniel's saying, okay, you're not going to fulfill this exile. You're not going to bring an end to sin. You're not going to finish the transgression or atone for your wickedness. For 490 years, not just 70, because Daniel was ready for it to be over and for God to reestablish his kingdom and his city and his temple. And here the angel Gabriel says, I'm going to give you new meaning. It's going to be 70 times 70. That's 490. Listen closely and watch closely and we'll pick this up next week. But look at this. Okay, the first is to deal three things to deal with sin. To put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, and to bring in then everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. We would understand that to be Jesus. Know and understand this. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, capital letters in my Bible, understood to be Jesus, the ruler comes, there will be seven sevens, that would be 49 years, seven times seven years, 49 years, and 62 sevens. That would be 434 more years. Okay, so from the time the decree is given to rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one comes will be 483 years. 
it'll be 7 times 7, that's 49, and it'll be 62 times 7, that's 434 more years. Add those together, and that will be 483 years. How many years did Gabriel tell Daniel that it would take to fulfill the payment for sin? 490 years. We're seven years short in this statement here. Now let's think about this just for a minute. Bible students have looked at this a lot. The decree to rebuild Jerusalem can be found, it's likely that it's the one that is found in Nehemiah chapter 1 when Artaxerxes says in about 444 or 445, Artaxerxes gives a decree that Nehemiah can go rebuild the city. That's the decree. There's 49 years in the first segment that go by, and by then they rebuild the city and the temple. Then there's 434 more years that go by, and guess what happens? The anointed one comes, and if you look at the calendar, and if you do the math, Bible students have shown us that when Artaxerxes, in Nehemiah chapter 1, made his decree to rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one appears, but then is cut off, Daniel's going to say, is 483 years, and to the day, that's probably the very day Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey on Palm Sunday. And that weekend, they nailed him to a cross. They cut him off. Guess what? There's seven years flapping around in the breeze out there somewhere. That's 483 years that Israel is involved in, in fulfilling what God said would happen through their disobedience. Now, I want you to understand something. This prophecy in the book of Daniel is written to Daniel about his people, for his people, and I believe that that is one of the biggest arguments that this seven years, there's 483 years recorded for, in a minute we're going to see that he talks about three and a half and three and a half more, seven more years. God is particularly dealing with Israel in this seven-year window. Let's look at it, and we're going to have to pick it up next week and try to make more sense out of this part of the passage. He says, verse 26, let's pick it up back at verse 25 again. Know and understand this, from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, okay, so Artaxerxes, Nehemiah 1, until Jesus rides into Jerusalem, the anointed one, the ruler comes, he presents himself to Jerusalem, he said there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens, that's 483 years. It will be rebuilt, Nehemiah rebuilds it, with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble, Nehemiah had a hard time building it, but he got it done in a short time, too. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be cut off. That's Jesus being crucified. And will have nothing. The people reject him. Then a different prince comes, a different ruler. The people of the ruler who will come, so new ruler, will come, will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. There's our last set of seven years. 483 years to get to 490 years. In the middle of the seven, look at verse 27, in the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering, and on a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. That's where we started in Matthew chapter 24, verse 15. Jesus said, when you see the abomination of desolation... Know and understand, it's the one that Daniel prophesied about. 
And it's three and a half years into the last seven-year window of time. Well, I don't know if you followed all that or not. Some of you, it was a brand new and whirlwind introduction to trying to decipher Bible prophecy. I told you that God didn't give us a bullet-pointed list with a timeline spelled out. Do you know God expects us to study His Word, doesn't He? You know, if words mean anything, and I think they do, then it's pretty clear. Daniel understood that they would be in exile 70 years. Gabriel comes to him and says, no, you forgot that it's sevenfold. That's going to be 490 years. Of those 490 years, Israel has served out 483 of them, and then it stops. I would encourage you to take your New Testament and go to Ephesians chapter 3. Because it's hard to see, but I'm telling you, between Daniel's chapter 9, verse 26, and Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, is the church age where we live today. And in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul himself will say, this amazing, mysterious, previously hidden era. They didn't see how God was going to put things on hold. And Gabriel says... There is going to be a lawless man. There is going to be a man come in three and a half years into the last seven weeks. He's going to rise up and he's going to do the abomination of desolation. What is it? What is it? We do know from Daniel chapter 11, similar prophecy, historically, 165 B.C., Antiphanes comes, sacks Jerusalem, goes into the temple, slaughters a pig. This is 165 years before Jesus was born. He goes in, he's a Greek warrior, goes in and slaughters a pig, grabs the priests by their hair and their beard, stuffs pork in their mouth and makes them chew it, creates a desolation of the temple of God. It's called the abomination of desolation when Antiphanes does that. He's a crazy man. He dies mad and out of his mind and he wipes out Jerusalem. Some people think all of this is fulfilled in those kinds of things. I think that we're going to see more evidence starting next week, and we'll go to the book of Revelation, and we'll see how this man of lawlessness that Daniel's talking about creates an abomination of desolation. And Jesus said in Matthew 24, 15, when that happens, watch out. It's really going to pick up. A couple thoughts and we go home. One thing I can't help but think about in a message like this, and we just kind of stop it, you know, and we took a big rabbit trail. Jesus to Daniel to Jeremiah to Moses to Gabriel. Obedience really matters to God. Did you get that out of today at all? Obedience really matters. You remember that Samuel even said to King Saul when Saul violated God's will and God's standard, he said, do you think that burnt offerings mean anything to God if there's no, disobe- if there's no obedience? What good are offerings if there's no obedience? What good are our songs? What good are our prayers? What good are our gatherings here if there's no obedience before a holy God? He doesn't want that. In fact, it's despicable to him. Obedience really matters. Another thing I think you have to see from this is that when God says something, he really means it. God's not joking. He's not goofing around. When he says, if you don't keep my Sabbath rest, you're going to pay. And not only that, if you then continue in your sin, you're going to pay sevenfold. Incredible, isn't it? He says it. He means it. It happens. And as we continue to decipher these prophetic passages and 
try to understand what our Bibles have to say about this remarkable time that we believe to be future, you need to realize that God means what he says. Well, I was also thinking about how Israel had to pay for their own sin and how by God's grace we have an advocate, a righteous one, Jesus Christ the righteous, who's taken our place on the cross. You don't have to raise your hand, but anybody out there messed up your life? Anybody out there have any problem looking in the mirror deciding, I think I'm a sinner. I have concluded. I'm 51 almost, and I have finally figured out I really am a sinner. Yeah, you know you are. And guess what? You're going to go into exile for your sin eventually. It's eternity in hell. There's nothing we can do for our own problem of sinfulness. And that's the beauty of the story of the gospel and why Jesus came to die on that old cross, to come to us and offer us his forgiveness, to offer us his righteousness, to be our substitute at the cross so that we don't have to go into exile on our own, that Jesus went into exile on the cross for us. Do you know Christ is your Savior today? You have to worry about the future. Worry about today. Worry about your sinful heart. Obedience matters. God means what he says. And Jesus has already gone into exile for us and for our sin. That's enough to chew on for a few days, isn't it? Let's bow in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, we admit that there's a lot to it and we're not always sure we quite have a full handle on it. Thank you for how the word connects and how these things are taking shape and, and Lord, continue to teach us and show us of things to come and how to be ready. Certainly, Lord, we can recognize this morning that obedience matters to you. And so, Lord, forgive us for our carelessness of not paying enough attention to your word to walk in obedience to it. Father, help us to realize how serious you are about your word and that when you give instruction to your people, you expect them to live it out. Challenge us, Lord. Help us to tremble before your word. Father, thank you that you are a loving and merciful God and in your grace, you've raised up a people of your own. This church around the world of whom our head is Jesus Christ the righteous, the one who went into exile for us and that by your grace and through faith we can receive his righteousness and we can cast our sin in on him at the cross and stand before you just. Father, will you stir the hearts and open the minds of these folks, the one in particular who's hard-hearted and thick-necked. Would you break them down? Show them your love. Show them your forgiveness. Draw them unto yourself, Lord. We know that your word says you want all people everywhere to be saved. And thank you that even while we were yet sinners, Christ came and died for us. And so, Lord, use your word today to continue to chisel away at us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.